Welcome to the Work Research Revolution. I'm your host, Cara DeLunger. In this podcast, I speak to doctors, scientists, professors, and business leaders who are at the leading edge of this work research revolution and radically changing the way we work. We will be harnessing their collective insight so that we can create the catalyst that drives much needed change in the future of work around the world. Work Reset Revolution is brought to you by Softer Success. Visit www.softersuccess.com to learn how you can revolutionize your well-being plan and help eradicate burnout in your organization. So let's get to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Today, we're being joined by the wonderful Tina Clouston, who is a professor in occupational therapy, life balance and well-being at Cardiff University. And she's also the author of the book called Challenging Stress, Burnout and Rust Out, Finding Balance in Busy Lives, which is so important, isn't it, at the moment? So welcome, Tina. Thank you so much for joining us today. My absolute pleasure, Cara. Thank you for having me. I'm very much looking forward to our chat this afternoon. Thank you. So um, we're talking today and our title of this series is Work Reset Revolution. And I actually wanted to ask you a question and wondered what your thoughts or what you feel really is the biggest crisis, are the biggest crises that workplaces are facing today? Well, I think that's a really interesting question. And thank you, for asking me and I think one of the biggest problems is sustainability and resilience and that's at multiple levels you know not just about our resources and our environment and the sustainability of our finances but actually and the one I'm going to focus on the most is the one in terms of our human resource mm-hmm. and the trouble is that expectations of people at work is always increasing and that's not sustainable in terms of health and well-being because fundamentally levels of stress, burnout, exhaustion are going through the roof for people. We're being asked to do more and more all of the time. Consequently, work can be really greedy and it takes far too much time personally wise and energy that you would use in your private life usually. And this impacts on us with work expanding like ripples in the pond, ever increasing circles rather than decreasing, sadly, taking more and more of our personal resource of time and energy And that creates really, really profound work-life imbalance for people, which is really impacting on our ability to be resilient. There's also a lot of disenfranchisement at work because people feel they're not valued. And that results in a sense of a lack of personal meaning. And when you've got no real sense of satisfaction or fulfillment in work, that really impacts on you as a person. You know, this is because work's a very important occupation. It's not just about safety and security through being paid, but it gives us purpose, gives us self-worth, it gives us a source of personal identity and meaning in life. So when that's taken away and highly pressured workplaces are doing this all the time, then just like people who are stressed or are burnt out, workers perform less well and productivity goes down. So this is where the financial resilience aspect of it comes in. And then sadly, and I guess this is the worst bit of it, the response in the workplace by governments, by society, is, however, to squeeze more and more out of people because we're always driving up the productivity cycle. We're always wanting more with less. So this means that people are pressured to spend more energy at work as the cycle continues, but it's tightened like a screw. So pressures on people are increased until eventually they snap or just disengage from the workplace. 
And that is what Rusto is actually, disengagement from the workplace. And it's a real profound problem for us right now. I was going to ask you about that, actually, because I love that as part of the title of your book, Rust Out. And what sort of brought you to write about that? And maybe you could talk more a little bit about that disengagement piece. Yes, absolutely. Mm. I mean, it's such a hidden problem. And it is really so sad that people don't recognise that it's happening. We recognise the burnout. We recognise the stress. We recognise the cycle behind that because we can all see these patterns of extra work or having responsibilities placed on us that mean we're always trying to achieve perfection that perhaps we can't get to. And we're always working, working, working without a break. So we recognise that. And the burnout is the end product of that. But disengagement, lack of support, lack of satisfaction in the workplace, lack of fulfilment, often based around a really negative cycle of not being trained or supported to get the skills and the qualities that you need to do your job, A lack of value means that people disengage. And when you disengage from the workplace, you step back, you stop putting your values in, almost a sense of boredom or just real sense of not wanting to be in the workplace, losing your enthusiasm, your motivation. And those kind of symptoms, they're quite different from stress, anxiety, burnout, but they are as negative in terms of your performance and your satisfaction at work. And they can be a real profound impact for you as an individual. And then on how you achieve at work or how you see your personal development or your future. So that's rust out. The rust out. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So talking about that's kind of the core of the problem. Now, what kind of solutions, like what can workplaces do to help with this, the burnout, the rust out, And what should you think should propel a revolution in the workplace? I think, again, that's a lovely question, Cara, you know, and the interesting thing about it is that, yes, I think the workplace is a really important part of that. They have to change their culture. But actually, it works at multiple levels. It's the individual, it's the culture and the organisation and it's society at large. And those three levels have to adapt and change in order for really us to get meaningful change in the workplace because they're interrelated, one acts on another, it's very dynamic. So all three need to make moves, really, and change how they think about things. But I'll go through them one at a time and give some examples. Thank you. So individually, it's about reviewing what's really important to you as a person in terms of your work-life balance, including what is it you do in your everyday activities, the things that you do do and the things that you would like to do. And often it's the things that we would like to do that we compromise or let go of in order to meet the pressures that we're trying to achieve at work and the roles and responsibilities that we have outside of work. So the meaningful things, our hobbies, the things we enjoy, they get compromised and put aside. That's not good. So we need to try and take that back in if we can. Weigh up the balance, the work life that you have and the sense of well-being that you have and discuss it with your partners or your significant others, the people that are important to you and try and make changes that are going to make you feel more satisfied. And that might mean downshifting at work. And I love this idea of downshifting at work where people change their mindset and think differently about what they want to achieve in the workplace. So they step out of that cycle that I talked about, whether it's burnout or rust out. And try and take some sense of control over your own choices and your own well-being and your Mm. work-life balance. So that's the individual bit. But of course, the organisation may not particularly support you with that. 
And so what they have to do, and this is at an organisational level, is try and change the work-driven culture that we have. And the UK is actually the worst European country for pressures at work and work-life imbalance. We work longer hours. We have this culture of presenteeism where we really want people to be in the workplace. You know, COVID has changed that in many ways, but we're still being scrutinised. We're still being watched. watched. Our outputs are still being measured. So cultures really have to start valuing their staff. They have to start trusting them. There's some lovely things happening in the NHS at the moment about creating caring and compassionate cultures. And this is where everyone is empowered to take some sense of leadership in their work, where everyone is valued and where everyone is supported. And I think at the organisational level, we need to create those cultures and we need to move for something that's looking at productivity and outcome all the time to balance it with well-being and support. So we think about our staff as the most valuable asset we have, rather than just a resource to be used. So the people are the most important, right? <laughs> Would you then say that well-being should be part of any kind of evaluation or, you know, do you think that that's a way forward in the future? I absolutely think it's the central and pivotal point of change. Mm. If we look at how staff are feeling, how staff are satisfied, how they feel fulfilled in the workplace, if their needs around having a work-life balance and their personal well-being are being met, and that becomes the central pivotal point of what we measure as an element of success in our organisation, then we are going to actually, ironically, it seems most people would think, produce more and get more output, not less. Mm. You know, the UK, again, in terms of productivity, has all the research shows that the UK worker, on average, produces less and has less output than the average person in our European countries or G7 countries, and yet we work longer hours. Why is that? Pirates of sickness, more burnout, more rest out, more stress, less family values than other countries who put that pivotal point of well-being outside of work as well as in it as an element of what we need to achieve if we're going to get the best out of people. So that's really important, you know. And if you have a sense of meaning, support and value in the workplace because the culture creates that around you, you put more in and you will do more and you'll feel more motivated to be fully present and enjoy your job happy people better workers more output at a social level and yeah. this is the hardest bit and mm-hmm. particularly in western countries it needs government to put people's health and well-being first it needs to think about their families their social networks and their community and the value of that before productivity and growth I've been watching this unfolding through the whole COVID crisis. It's been fascinating to watch the debate about do we keep people safe or do we open up the economy? Now, obviously, it's a fine line to work and we want both. But frequently, we seem to tip into this kind of pattern of worrying about the economy, not about the well-being of people. Mm. You know, It's a very fine line to work and I think the government have done a great job. But really, you can see this dynamic playing out through the side of covid crisis that we've had but you know we can do it we can Mm. put the well-being of people first we can put families communities and social networks before productivity and growth the new economics foundation has come up with some wonderful ideas about how we can change how we do things in the uk 
mm-hmm. and make a real difference. There are many countries, Europe has many countries that could show this, where work-life balance policies are far more promoted and supported in the workplace than they are in the UK. Mm. Bhutan is a country, as an extreme example, which puts happiness and well-being of people as the central pivotal point of its measure of success. That's its gross national product. Yeah. And these, you know, these are lovely ideas that we can embrace in countries that are more driven and are always worrying about money, productivity and growth. So, so we're stepping away. Do you think we're stepping away from the, well, we need to step away in this revolution from the money and growth and really work towards the well-being and happiness of people? Absolutely. That's going to be the focus. Absolutely. And, you know, the really fascinating thing, Cara, is, again, you know, and it's it's not ironic to me, but I think, you know, people who are stuck in that way of thinking need to think about this. The irony of it all is that if you change that mindset, if you move along this continuum more toward well-being, you will actually get more productive staff, yeah. not less. You know, it's like all the research around multitasking, for example, shows that you're 40% less efficient if you push to multitask in your job. Mm. So similarly, people who are valued and supported are more enthused, more motivated and work harder. So a lot of the rabbit holes we go down and the patterns we're stuck in are ineffective. So it's breaking mm. those cycles. So breaking those cycles and, you know, making sure that we're slowly stepping away from obviously it's going to be a longer term process. I wanted to ask you, so much of your work relates to the rise and entrenchment of neoliberalism in our workplaces. Could you maybe unpack a little of what that means and how it has shaped modern notions of work and well-being and maybe what we could do right now to change the present course on that? Yeah, yeah, I will. Thank you, Cara. I'll go for the first part of that question mm. first. So I'll come back to the change in the present course at the end. You know, neoliberalism is a fascinating concept. And whenever I talk around the world about this, people always say to me, well, what is it? And yet we're living in it every single day. So I'm really glad you've given me the opportunity to talk about it. Neoliberalism is an often hidden concept that our societies, particularly Western economies, but it's global now, live by. It's a very specific form of capitalism, and it's an economic model that underpins global markets. So it was actually um, dreamt up by Maggie Thatcher, well, Maggie Thatcher Mm -hmm. in the UK and spread it out when she started global markets and opened competition globally, particularly with Ronald Reagan in the USA, as it was at the time. Mm -hmm. Now, it's very influential across the world. All countries are fighting to be in global markets and to promote growth through that. But the trouble with it is that it drives competition. It's always pushing to get more and more with less and less. Productivity and growth are the measures of success. So Mm. that cycle that I talked about earlier is actually created by neoliberalism and it's having huge impacts on the planet and our sustainability globally in that concept but let's just focus on what it's doing in the workplace because that's what we're talking about today so because neoliberalism is based on competition productivity and growth it embeds those principles in the workplace Mm -hmm. and if any of you listening to this today start thinking about your workplace you'll probably be able to pick out those three things happening in your everyday job when you have a workplace that's predicated on competition productivity and growth those three lovely things efficiency is the key And that's probably the practical aspect of it that you'll see every day in your jobs. 
So basically, to achieve efficiency, what do we do? We have less resources like staff and finances, but we expect more output. So we're squeezing more and more out of our human resource. We have more expectations, longer working hours, more tasks, which leads to that multitasking, which I've already said is inefficient. And all of that is leading to less satisfaction in our staff. We also see our staff as a resource rather than we lose the human bit, the human being bit, the person, you know, the well-being of that individual. We just see them as something that needs to be used efficiently and effectively to get the best that we can out of them. This is known as a more with less culture. And I Mm. guess it's resonating with a lot of people who are listening to us. And all in all, then we have greater workloads, greater expectations, less resources, so more stressed and pressured staff with burnout, exhaustion, rust out prevalent. Consequently, well-being is really low. So fundamentally, neoliberalism is behind their drive in this cycle that we've got ourselves stuck in. Neoliberalism, unsurprisingly, having said that, therefore, is the father of the gig economy. And I know that you'll know what that is, Cara, but in cases people who don't, that's yeah. a labour market characterised by the prevalence of short-term contracts, freelance work as opposed to permanent jobs. So working in the gig economy means constantly being subjected to last-minute scheduling as a worker. It's a just-in-time type of labour. And this is insecure. It's called precarious work. And that model of work is rife in many, many countries now. Precarity is a real problem at work. Well, if you're insecure at work, you have no fixed times to work, your pay is poor, you only get paid based on the times that you're present at work or your output or whatever they're measuring you by. There's no sick pay, no pay for annual leave, no pensions. You become an insecure person. You worry about your job. And this obviously is creating cultures of fear and insecurity in workers because their basic security needs aren't being met let alone the higher needs which we've talked about, which is value, self-esteem, a sense of belonging, opportunities to develop for self-actualization. So that's not good. And then the last bit of neoliberalism, I mean, it can be more complicated than this, but just to simplify. And this, I think, is the real insidious bit in the workplace is something called individualism. Now, the UK is the most individualist country in Europe. It's matched only by Australia and America worldwide. And what does individuals expect of you? Well, most Western cultures have some form of individualism in them. And on the whole, it's about, yes, celebrating individual thought, celebrating individual decision-making, celebrating individual's autonomy. And we're all expected to take personal responsibilities for the choices we make. Well, you might be thinking that's not a bad thing. That's okay. You know, those are the values that we embrace in Western economies. And it doesn't matter that the UK is the most individualistic of all those Western economies. But when you think about how it impacts on working people, you begin to see the downside of it. So in the workplace, in theory, and this is the trouble, it's usually only in theory rather than a reality. It supports worker autonomy, individual decision making. It rewards innovation high levels of performance, it increases a sense of personal responsibility in you as a worker. So if you're driven, put yourself first, think about your personal development above others, then you will succeed. But it's not so good if you're someone who puts others before yourself, who like working in teams, who are a democratic person. It creates competition, 
It's divisive in terms of personal relationships and supporting others in the workplace. And it creates cultures of fear and blame because the worker becomes blamed for any mistakes that happen and the organisations let go of any accountability. These are the sort of hidden parts of individualism. The workplace structure becomes more powerful and more bureaucratic, but the people working down on the ground floor level carry the can for any mistakes that are made. They become culpable while the organisation lets go of accountability. Because the organisation takes more power, it gives less to the worker, and you become stuck in this cycle of carrying all the responsibility but having no power to actually make decisions or resolve the issues that are coming out of that problem. And it's a terrible cycle. People feel very disempowered and out of control. There's no psychological safety as well, is there? <laughs> uh, from what you've described to me and, and we see it in our work as well, is that there's often just not that trust in teams in across the board in organisations. So there is a lot of blame on mistakes and that's a difficult one, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, mm. you summarised that beautifully, Cara, and, and that lack of trust mm. is prevalent in organisations today. And I'm sure that there's some out there often the smaller ones or the ones that really think about staff well-being as a central point of what they do, that are challenging this and they're overcoming it. But that lack of trust is a massive problem and it's increasing and it's not helping with these problems that we have in the sustainability of our staff because people are just becoming so demotivated, so anxious and so stressed. So what could we do to change this course? You've also spoken about, and I know you talk about that in your book as well, there's, you know, 24-7, this always on culture that we have. And given that, that's probably, we've got our technology, which is brilliant and helps us with so many things. But what can we do to change this, our present course, and really look towards our well-being in the future? You know, I think it's really, really difficult. But what I try to do in the book is look at ways and organisations can look at it and look at ways that individuals can look at it. And I'll yeah. just sort of summarise that quickly. So at a sort of organisational level and really a sort of social level, it's about getting to that mindset change that I mentioned earlier. So focusing on well-being as that central pivotal point of what we do as people every day, not productivity and growth as a way forward. That is a fundamental change. And while we're waiting for the governments and the organisations to catch up, as an individual, we can put in process a, a sort of personal mindset change to try and accommodate that thinking in ourselves. Mm. You know, Because if we can do it, we're changing how we interface with our workplace and with the societies we live in. And we're changing our own attitudes and beliefs and values to slightly focus on the things that matter to us and to think about what is meaningful to us as people what do we enjoy doing what to do how can we accommodate that into our personal lives rather than compromise it all of my research has shown that if we can adapt how we run our present patterns of our life change them to bring in something that's meaningful to us now meaningful activity and make time for that, whether it be yoga, drawing, walking. You know, people have yeah. really started to enjoy nature a lot more through mm. the COVID crisis. The whole of our well-being improves. So I think that that's really important. And if we're allowed to kind of change our thinking in the workplace, if we can get a little bit more trust in the workplace, innovation and creativity will grow because we'll take more risks. Yeah. You know, so there are some positive steps. 
I think that's probably the ones I kind of finish summarizing there. And I just say to people, you know, if they, if they want to look at more ideas, just have a little look at the book and see some of the practical steps that I look at in there to help you achieve that, which are really about adapting your life, making small moves that can be quite impactful because it can seem quite daunting sometimes to think, oh, I'm going to change my life. You know, I'm going to look after my well-being. I'm going mm. to do this, that and the other. You have to make small goals that are achievable and take things one step at a time so that you can actually improve yourself as an individual or change your culture in an organisation. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tina. So by taking small steps as individuals, but also as organisations, we can slowly start creating change and moving towards more of a human approach in business and this work reset revolution that we're looking at over the next years. I want to thank you so much for your time today. It's really been a delight to hear about your work and your thoughts and your research. And yes, so Tina's book, uh, Challenging Stress, Burnout and Rust Out, Finding Balance in Busy Lives is available, uh, I believe, on Amazon, right? Yeah. 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 So if you would like to read more, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Work Reset Revolution. I'd like to know what has been your biggest takeaway from this conversation. As a next step, share this episode with anyone that you think may benefit. Follow us on LinkedIn at Softer Success for more inspiration to change the way we work and contact us at info at softersuccess.com to find out more about our burnout assessment tool. If you have any feedback on how to improve, please do reach out to me as I'm always keen to learn more. Thank you so much for listening and we'll meet again on the next episode of Work Reset Revolution. Thank you.